0: So welcome to the Sustainable Fashion Podcast. Joining us today is Melody Serafino, the co-founder of a communications firm number 29 that focuses on sustainability and social impact. Thank
1: today, you for we're having gonna-
0: me. Thank you for being here. We're very happy to have you. Today, we're going to talk about many exciting things, how social media and sustainability trends have changed the role of PR agencies. So, we're going to talk about COVID-19, greenwashing, industry questions. And so let's just start from the top. Can you explain to us what you do as a PR agency and consultancy firm?
1: Sure. Uh, so I started Number 29 Communications about eight years ago with my co founder. Both of us come from the world of communications and actually had met working at another agency together and really realized that our passion was in sustainability and impact. And we wanted to have more ownership over the types of clients we were working on and specifically work with clients who we thought were doing the work to make the world a little bit better, Um, paying attention to sustainability long before it became sort of the buzzy trendy term it is today. And so when we launched Number 29, it was specifically to work with those brands and individuals and artists who were using their work to bring attention to whether it was sustainability or social justice causes, But really, you know, more than if it was a fashion brand, it was more than just fashion for the sake of fashion. It was about how do we do fashion slower, better, with better materials, with a better supply chain, you know, paying fair wages. We really look at sustainability as a holistic view and a holistic approach. It's not just about the materials that something is made of, but it's what does the entire supply chain look like? Who are the people working for you? How are they being traded? How are they being paid? Um, you know, how long, How? what's the distance that your product has to travel to get to your consumer? So for us, it's, it's kind of that holistic approach.
0: So you work with brands that align with your sort of mission and your values. How do you know where to draw the line, who you want to work with and who you cut off?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for us, yes, it is all values aligned. And we've definitely said no to our fair share of potential clients. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad brands. It just means that they're probably not the right fit for us. And we have a series of vetting questions that we ask when we're talking to a brand to sort of get to the bottom of, is sustainability really core to the DNA of who this brand is? Or is it more just they're checking a box to be able to say that they've done some efforts around sustainability, but it's not really you know, an overhaul of their entire system system and approach. And you know, sometimes that's hard to, to know, but you know, I, I want to also support brands who are trying to do better because I think by leaving them out of the conversation, we're missing a massive chunk of folks who we need to actually get on board for this, particularly in a space like fashion where, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats here. You know, if we really want to change the system from the inside out, we need the big brands, the small brands, everybody on board, really setting a new standard for what it means to be a sustainable brand. Uh, so we are quite discerning with who we take on. And sometimes, you know, it's a gut feeling. Sometimes it's, you know, these vetted questions that we're asking folks um, just really understand what is their, you know, what is their mission and what is their purpose for doing things the way that they do things? Um, you know, and if it's just sort of like a one-off checkmark initiative. You know, that's usually a red flag to us.
0: A lot of decades-old brands are now trying to change their DNA to become more sustainable. I was wondering what you thought about these brands and do you think that most of them are genuine in their efforts? Do you think it's really fragmented? Some really are, some aren't. How do you
1: see? Yeah, I think it runs the gamut to be honest but I do think that at this point in time if they're not reassessing how they're doing things they're going to be left behind. I mean the truth is it's much easier for smaller brands Who have sustainability and impact built into the core of their DNA to do better. It's, you know, that's what they're built on. But it doesn't mean that bigger brands can't start to steer that ship in a new direction. It just takes a lot longer for them because you have years of bad behavior that you've got to transform um, throughout the supply chain. So I think, you know, any brand that's trying to do better is, is great. It's really about transparency you know, no one has it 100% figured out. That's okay. But let us know what you're doing, where you're not up to speed, how you're getting there. Show us that progress. Because I think what we often see with some of the big brands is big, you know, PR around commitments and goals. But it's hard as a consumer to understand what does that actually mean in practice? So you are setting this goal for the next 10 years, but how are you actually achieving that? What are you doing along the way? And, you know, most people... Are not we don't have PhDs in sustainability. So as a consumer, it's hard to know who's doing it right, and who's just putting marketing language out there. So I think pulling back that curtain a little bit for folks and really showing them, you know, here's what we're doing with our supply chain, here's what we're doing with our materials, here's how we're thinking about, you know, how many seasons we might have for a particular collection. Um, and so I, I I want all brands to feel like they can be a part of this conversation, but I, they also have to understand that this is a long term commitment. It's not a short term, you know, one-off
0: initiative. And I think your point about transparency is really good because it's the only way we're going to talk about these things. It's sort of like how reformation sort of puts out all those, even the amount that they pay their workers. Um, And I know that you worked with the brand Veja that pays twice the amount for the rubber. It's sort of like, how much is fair trade? How much should you pay for it to be fair? And I think unless we actually put those numbers out and talk about it, we're not really going to, we're
1: not going to I think the challenge with the word sustainability is that it's become all encompassing to the point where it actually means nothing at this point. It doesn't have a clear definition. It's just means sort of everything you're doing that potentially could be seen as doing better for the planet, but we don't have a standard for that. Um, you know, there are brands that are B Corps. There are brands brands who do get these certifications, which are really important. And, you know, it takes a lot of work to go through those processes, but, um, I think transparency is probably a better word because it encapsulates everything. And it's not, it's not purporting to be a hundred percent sustainable. It's not, it's not saying something that you're not, or that you're not going to achieve anytime soon. It's just saying like, we are going to tell you exactly the work that we're doing. We know it's going to take time. We're going to bring you along for that journey and we're going to make mistakes along the way, but we ultimately it's all in favor in, in this effort of doing better.
0: I totally agree with you. But but then that brings up the topic of greenwashing. And it's like, how do you compete then if you're fully transparent and you have these brands that are claiming to be all these things that they're not exactly? Uh, aren't they undermining your work? How do you deal with those things. It's interesting. I mean, I
1: think consumers are getting smarter. From my perspective, journalists are also becoming more aware. It's funny, eight years ago when I started working with a lot of these brands, I felt like we were tirelessly banging down the door to get people to write these stories. And now journalists are overwhelmed and inundated by the amount of pitches they get on a daily basis around supposedly sustainable brands. And in some ways, we have become uh, a, a helpful vetting process for them to understand who is actually doing it right. I mean, I think if you're just seeing a bunch of words on a page, but there's no metrics to back it up, there's no transparency, there's no, you no know, one's giving you actual details on what that means. They're just kind of slapping these buzzy words on things. To me, that's a red flag. I mean, again, it's hard to put this all on the consumer because it's a brand's responsibility to communicate what they're doing. And a consumer just doesn't have the time or the wherewithal or the knowledge to be able to make some of these discerning decisions. I mean, it is a complicated and challenging space to navigate and people are using the words for marketing. Um, So there's plenty of brands out there who, you know, are leaving certain pieces of the story out just so you don't understand the full, you don't get the full picture of what they're doing. And that can be really hard for somebody who's you know, again, not sort of living and breathing this world every day, but there are a lot of brands who, it's interesting, you know, we work with a brand that's been around for a hundred years. They're an Icelandic outerwear brand called 66 Degrees North. They were founded in 1926 for search and rescue teams and fishermen in the North Atlantic. And, you know, if anybody's been to Iceland before, that is a terrain that is ever-changing. It's sort of brutal temperatures, brutal conditions, this was the, what they were creating had to last a lifetime because it was literally life or death. If this wasn't durable, if this wasn't something that you could have for your entire lifetime, because people didn't have money to buy something every season, then it it wasn't actually helpful. It needed to be utilitarian. And they, for a long time, they didn't, you know, scream this from the rooftops. It was just who they were. You know, they were one of the first brands that had um, a repair shop encouraging people to just send back their products or get their products repaired instead of buying new. And they've been you know, using sustainable materials for a long time. They're about to get their B Corp certification. A lot of the work that they've been doing, they've been doing for decades, almost a century at this point. But they're only now sort of Talking about it, because it's important for people to know that there are brands who have sort of quietly been doing the work for a long time. um, And they don't necessarily have to yell it at you. You know, I think sometimes when you see a brand that is constantly getting press around their sustainability efforts, um, or, you know, sort of doing it to get press, again, it's a red flag moment. But there are a lot of brands that, you know, that's a great example of a heritage brand that's not new but has been around and this was important for them from day one. Um, and they've never they've never changed that course. You know, now the brand has become more popular with celebrities and it's you know fashion folks. So but it's still at the end of the day a performance outerwear brand. So the the, the clothing has to work, it has to last, um, it has to be durable. And you know I think sometimes we focus on what's the material, but if the material only lasts two years, then it's actually not fulfilling the promise of sustainability.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how those brands that have sustainability truly at their core don't market it as loudly as those that, are, that haven't uh, been sustainable in the yeah. past. And you spoke about how now you're sort of like the middleman where you are filtering sort of all these requests that journalists are getting. How has the PR world changed over the, over the years um, and how has it changed, not just in terms of how you communicate, but also you're, you're not just communicating anymore. What else do you have to do in order to survive, I guess?
1: Yeah, I mean, the role of PR has evolved rapidly. I mean, certainly in the span of my short career, but also even in the last year and a half throughout the pandemic, uh, you know, we're still doing traditional press outreach in the sense that clients come to us because they want to be covered by Publications, they want that media visibility, but it's also about collaborations and partnerships, and in pre-COVID times, thinking about in-person activations and experiences that we can create for someone to really experience a brand. Um, you know, journalists get five hundred plus emails a day on you know stories that people think they should be writing it's incredibly challenging to parse through all of that so how do we cut through that noise that's a big part of what our job is and getting creative I mean in the past 18 months we haven't been able to do in-person events in the same way that we used to do them so we had to think about are there ways that we can digitally um, you know work with journalists and, and bring attention to the work that we're doing you know a good example of that is we work with a parenting brand called assembly they're a reusable diaper brand. And, you know, the diapers make up a huge portion of landfill uh, trash. And so what we decided to do with them is last summer put together a postpartum zine for new moms who, you know, were having babies during the pandemic, but really had lost a lot of their in-person support network because they couldn't be in person with folks. And so we asked Influencers and journalists and other folks to, to experts to come in and to share their stories, whether it was through an essay or a QA. And we put together the scene. Uh, we made it available to anyone for the cost of $5, and all the proceeds went to Every Mother Counts. Um, and it was just an opportunity to kind of create community in a time when people felt like their community had been ripped out from underneath them. So in some ways, our role has, has sort of intersected with marketing. It's, you know, really about creative ideation. We see ourselves as creative partners to the brands that we work with. You know, the, the it's not enough to just send an email pitch anymore. You really have to think outside the box. Um, and of course, then there's the whole world of social media, which, for better or worse is now part of a communication strategy. There are content creators. Uh, We try to work with those who we think are really authentic in what they're sharing. You know, it's not, we don't wanna do just sort of transactional social media work. Uh, I don't think that that really gives the return on investment and it doesn't feel authentic to most of the brands that we work with. But it is a necessary reality right now. Um, You know, a lot of people are turning to Instagram or TikTok to figure out what is the thing that they should be buying? What is the information that they need about a particular brand? And so you can't ignore that. You have to sort of embrace it in a way that feels authentic and genuine to the brand.
0: So can you tell us a bit more about that? How how do you incorporate social media in your strategy and how do you do so in a way that's authentic where you're not just, you know, maybe collabing with influencers because they have a lot of, you know, that.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, it's not, it's not about the number of followers that an influencer has. It's really the quality of those followers and to think about how they're engaging with that community. Um, You know, we have worked with influencers organically and on a paid you know, basis. So it just totally depends, you know, sometimes it's it's inviting them to an event in the same way that we would with a journalist to have them experience something, you know, whether it's a press trip or a, a dinner or, you know, some sort of activation that we're putting together, you know, gifting in a way that is, doesn't feel excessive, but feels really deliberate for something that might actually be useful for them and understanding like what are their challenges that they're going through? If they're a new mom, are they experiencing certain challenges as a mom? Maybe they're a fit for some of our parenting brands. Are they talking about wanting to better understand the sustainability space and not really having the tools to do so. How can we bring them into that conversation and create a relationship with them that's not just a one-off transaction, but an on a long-term, ongoing relationship where you know they sort of become a trusted ambassador. And um, you know, they it's not just about like reading from a script that someone sends them, but really truly embracing the ethos and values of a brand. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Before my next question, that sounds like a fun job, finding finding creative is challenging because it's always uncertain, but finding creative ways to uh, bring sort of more attention to the clients you're working with sounds fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of the best part of our job is just being able to come up with creative concepts and they don't always work and they're not always, the client always doesn't always have a budget or an appetite to, to make, execute on them. But I think just being able to present some of those ideas and show that we're thinking outside the box is of real value.
0: Can you give us maybe an example of a,
1: um, something you've done with social media with one of your clients? That's a great question. Let me think about if there's something that we've done recently that um, makes sense to share. You know, with one of our clients, we work with, um, again, this is more in the parenting and sustainability space. So we work with a a brand, it's the largest organic baby food brand in the country, in the U.S. um, And they, they, have been talking about things like regenerative farming again before it became a trendy buzzy word everybody's talking about it now, but they have really been supporting farmers to help them have more organic practices and regenerative practices. Um, for for many years, um, and so you know we we work with influencers who are parents, you know, a diverse group of parents uh, to help share the stories of some of the products and specifically around things like their regenerative and organic line to help people understand what does that actually mean? Um, You know, how, how is that relevant? Why should I be thinking about this for my baby? Um, So we have a whole program that we've put together just to talk about different products and help people understand not only the nutrition side of things, but also just helping to meet parents where they are. You know, it's been a really hard year for parents. It's been a really hard year for folks. Um, And sometimes you just need something that is Going to make your life easier uh, and so we've done that um you know we with uh, enough the platform that we launched earlier this year which is a podcast a newsletter um you know we asked folks in our network to share what they've had enough of you know we we feel like it's again it's been it's been quite the year for people and We wanted them to share, you know, what are the things they wanna see people do better at? What have they had enough of? What can we take action on now? Um, And we had them, you know, share that and put together a whole Instagram campaign around it. So, you know, we're always thinking about creative ways to share content that feel, you know, educational, useful, um, help people to better discern some of the topics that, you know, are being chatted about frequently. I think it's a real opportunity to just reach a broader audience um, and help kind of bring them into the folds because everybody's trying to figure it all out together. You know, no one has all the answers. Uh, we all we all have questions. Um, we're all trying to just take it all in and there's so much coming at us at once. So how can we help people just kind of better understand whether it's the topic of sustainability, whether it's the topic of something around social justice, how can we be um, a conduit for, you know, trusted information?
0: Yeah, you mentioned your podcast enough. Can you tell us a little bit more about, Uh, about what it's about for our listeners who don't
1: know? Sure. So, you know, this is something that has been in the back of our minds for a long time. We didn't actually launch it until into the pandemic. It just seemed like the timing was right. Um, But for us, it was really an opportunity to bring attention to The solutions makers, the people who are on the front lines of change, they don't always get the big splashy stories, but they're doing the work. Um, And that could be activists, it could be uh, business leaders, it could be educators, you know, who are the people who don't necessarily have time to talk and tell everything they're doing, but have been really part of um, whether it's community building or sustainability efforts, Uh, and providing a platform for them uh, and telling those stories, those kind of unexpected stories or undiscovered stories and sharing that more broadly. So these are the things that we would love to see covered in more mainstream media, but they don't always get the attention. They're not the clickbaity stories. They're just good people doing good work, which unfortunately in today's media landscape is not always what rises to the top. And so we wanted to give them a platform and give them a voice. Um, And it allowed us to also sort of, you know, be curators of this space, you know, and and sort of share what we're seeing with other people. They're not, you know, the people that we interview and that we feature are not necessarily our clients. In fact, most of them are not. Uh, They're just people we really respect and admire. And we feel like it would really be helpful for other people to hear the work that they're doing. And so, you know, we've, we've interviewed artists, we've interviewed Fashion designers, um, you know, we've we've interviewed photographers. Uh, it's been a it really kind of runs the the gamut of the types of folks that we've had on the show. But it's really like, what are the questions we would want to ask them? You know, we get we get forty five minutes with them to be able to hear all about the amazing work that they've done, um, and now we get to share that with the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So this might be a complicated question, but I do want to hear your thoughts on it. Can you tell us some of the best actionable advice that you've been given by these guests that you have on uh, advice for individuals or for organizations about what they can do better? That's a great
1: question. You know, I I think that it's very over. We live in a time where it feels very overwhelming we know we need to take action but it's really hard to understand how you can take meaningful action you hear climate that's a really heavy topic feels like we have no power to make real change if we're not scientists if we're not you know companies who can cut back on our emissions and yet there is so much we can do and so you know i think the people who have come on and just said pick one thing and make that your thing. You don't have to be everything to everybody and you don't have to tackle every problem. It's completely overwhelming, but pick something that you can just really lean into and dedicate, You know, set a goal for yourself. Um, I think that that's probably the best advice because you know, if I think about through the course of the day, all of the different ways that I could do better when it comes to sustainability, I wouldn't get through the day. I mean, it's so much to take in. But if I think about one thing that I can consistently do every day, and then maybe over time, I can add other pieces to that. But I think just being more cognizant of the impact that we have on the world around us um, is, is really important. And, you know, I think also just doing it authentically and thoughtfully and meaningfully. You know, we talked to Chris Burkhardt who is a Nat Geo photographer, a filmmaker. I've been following his work for years. You know, he's got a huge following on Instagram. He is out in nature. He is seeing firsthand how climate change is impacting nature because he's been going to some of these far-fetched places for, you know, over a decade at this point. And he's seeing what devastation looks like in real life. And yet he still is hopeful and he still is optimistic. And, you know, he also really talked about how important it is to not don't just jump on the bandwagon because everybody else is on that bandwagon. But again, finding that thing that drives you that, you know, it's not about an Instagram post every time something happens in the world. It's, you know, we're just kind of shouting into the same ecosystem. Um, How do we go beyond you know, just social media action and actually take action. And by the way, some of these actionable things are not things that the rest of the world is ever going to know that you're doing. It's just little changes you're making in your own life. And, you know, sometimes I think we get caught up in this, like, if I don't tell the world I'm doing it, I'm not, it's like, it's like, I'm not, it's like, you know, if a, if a tree falls in the forest and you're not there to see it, you know, I, I think that we feel like, We have to put like our stamp on something by posting a story about it or posting something on our Instagram about it. And social media activism has its place, but I think if that is the only type of activism that's happening, it's not actually making the change that we need. It's just sort of being another voice, um, you know, adding to the the fire of the many voices. Uh, So I think that it's just really important to think beyond that.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love this sort of idea of being tolerant, because as you said, you can be everything to everyone. And if you just make real change in one area of your life, that's already pretty good. So yeah, I, I love that approach. Uh, so who was the most inspiring client you've worked with? And why? And I know that's very tough. You've had a yeah. lot of great clients, but maybe for you personally, not objectively.
1: Yeah, it's it, yeah, it is. It is a tough question because we most of the clients we take on, we take on because they are inspiring us in some way. I will say, I keep coming back to the fashion space just because I think it's had such a reckoning when it comes to sustainability in the last two years, which has been much needed. But I, I think Veja, the sustainable sneaker brand, their are Paris-based sneaker brand. I'm sure a lot of people know them by the V on the side of them. But you know, they again, they're they're one of these brands where they've just been doing the work for so long that they didn't actually have to lead with the fact that they were doing it sustainably. Um, it feels like they're everywhere now, but this has been, we've worked with them for six or seven years when they first came to the US. You know, it's two founders who are so committed to making sure that what they're producing is doing the least amount of harm. And they're working with communities to make sure that they're paid well so that they don't have to, you know, they're, they're working with the rubber tappers in, in the Amazon so that they can make a fair and living wage so they don't have to be logging and, you know, destroying the forest, They're um, giving them other opportunities and alternatives. And, you know, they're just they're doing it in such a in, in such a humble way, too. So I would say that from a fashion standpoint, they're absolutely the leaders. Um, they you know, they're they aren't afraid to try things differently and. They also don't feel the need to tell you every time they're doing great work. And I really respect that about them. They're just doing it. And it's sort of like you just keep peeling back the onion and finding more and more incredible things that they're doing. Um, you know, we work with the TED conference, which has been around now for 30 plus years. So being able to be in the room with some of those speakers who are sharing their ideas, whether it's run an innovation, whether it's a personal story, I'm actually headed to TED's first in-person climate summit in Edinburgh next week, um, where they're going to be bringing together leaders, so youth activists and business leaders um, and journalists to be talking about what are the solutions that we can start to implement now to really address the urgency of climate change. You know, I, I just, I find that they're constantly just thinking about what are the, you know, what are the topics, what are the things that we that are kind of in the zeitgeist um, that are important to share with folks. And we've been working with them for a decade at this point. So I've really gotten to see their evolution as a media brand, really at this point, you know, beyond the conferences themselves, but really as having a long reach for folks to help them understand new themes, new topics, educate them on things, but in a way that's inspirational, aspirational. Um, doesn't feel like you're sitting in a classroom and it's not academic.
0: And for for Vizha, what do you think made them a successful brand? Do you think it was the sustainability trend that picked up? Or do you think it's really their product was great and the
1: sustainability was just a side thing that people... So I think, yeah, I think it's funny because Beja has been around now for almost 20 years, which I think surprises a lot of people. I mean, they were very popular in Europe before they ever came to the US. Um, So, you know, they have longevity. They're not a brand that just started five years ago. I think, listen, they marry that, that combination of chic and fashionable with sustainability. So if you're a person who just wants a really cute, comfortable shoe, You'll go to Asia and the sustainability part of it is kind of like icing on the cake if you care deeply about sustainability, but you also don't wanna sacrifice fashion, they're your brand. You know, I think they appeal to a lot of different types of consumers. Um, So I I think that, and I think also they've never really like shoved the sustainability messaging down people's throats. So there are some folks I think that probably were of and have no idea that, you know, they're doing the sustainability work that they're doing. They just think here's a really cute shoe and I've seen a lot of people wearing them. And that's fine if more people are making the choice to buy a better sneaker.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. When people don't even know it's sustainable, it's sort of, it proves that the product is really good and sustainability is just built into their DNA. It doesn't have to be the thing that makes uh, the product uh, sell.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the first pieces we ever got for them was actually in Wired magazine, which seems like maybe a counterintuitive place to talk, tell a story about a sneaker brand, but it was actually breaking down what makes a shoe sustainable. What are the elements of that for people? Because I think that is something people don't know. Um, and so, but by the same token, they can also be in vogue, you know, so I think they just have broad appeal.
0: Yeah. And why do you think that people are so interested in sustainability now? What do you think catalyzed this change?
1: No, I think that there is a younger generation of folks who are really committed to some of these topics. Um, I mean, this is a long time coming. People have been talking about doing better by the planet for decades. It's not new, but I think it's moved more into the mainstream. Whereas it used to be seen as sort of this fringe community of folks Who were part of NGOs and nonprofits and protests. And, and, you know, now it's really, it's really gravitated to much more mainstream conversation, which I think has made it feel much bigger and much more urgent. And then we've watched over the last 18 months, you know, early days pandemic when we saw the Venice canals come back to life with fish because there weren't boats clogging them. And we started to see the visual of what it means to kind of bring our planet back to life. And I think people started to realize that this isn't just something people are talking about, it's having real impact. You know, the topic of sustainability and climate is a tough one because unless, for most people, unless they can see the personal impact of it, A lot of people just, if it doesn't personally impact them, they're not thinking about it. Um, But I think that there are people who have really put pressure on brands to do better as, you know, brands hire younger folks, they're asking questions. They uh, have different set of expectations. They want to work for companies and organizations that they feel good about, that they feel like align with their values. And so they're not sort of just sitting back and just saying, well, it's a job. I'm just going to do it. It's like they actually want to see the change. And so I think there's been a lot of impetus. And so brands are responding. I mean, one, money talks. So if people are not buying a product because they feel like it doesn't align with their values, that's going to get them to perk up. And then if they have trouble retaining young talent because they want to work for brands that are more mission aligned or mission driven, you know, these are the things that unfortunately it kind of takes these big moments to get people to pay attention And then of course, when you're brand and you see your competitor starting to really think about this and talk about this and do better than you are, that's incentive. Um, So I, I don't know if there's like one clear moment that sparked all of this. I think it's a history of bad behavior that people have been pointing out for years, but sort of crystallized as we have a new generation who has been very clear and vocal about we don't have to buy things if they don't align with our values. Like it doesn't matter to us. We're not a consumer generation in the same way that even some of the millennial generation, which I'm a part of grew up as more of a consumer generation. You know, Gen Z is saying things like I can barter, I can DIY. I don't need to have these things if they don't align with my values. Um, And that gets brands to perk up. And now I just, I think they look like dinosaurs if they're not making change you know they're just they're just going to be left behind and maybe for some of them that's okay maybe for some of them like this is the end of the road for them but i think if they want to be sustainable as a business they have to take this seriously
0: and i think also sustainability it's like why not it's a fun challenge what do you have to lose in trying to make your products more sustainable there's i
1: also think that they don't recognize that there is a long-term Bottom line benefit, right? I think exactly. sustainability. A lot of people used to think, "Oh, I have to spend all this money to to get all this technology, and I'm never going to recoup that." I mean, it comes down to, to to capital, right? At the end of the day, but I think that the that the upfront investment, the long term investment, is going to yield better results, and we have seen time and time again now, successful brands who can be financially successful and also be good for the planet and think better about what they're doing in terms of their products and their their output. So it doesn't have to be this dichotomous thing. I think we were kind of served this misinformation about how if you're more sustainable, it means somehow you're, you're less of a brand or you're not going to be as successful. And we've seen that the paradigm has shifted and that's not, that's not the case at all. Uh, So I think that also makes brands like perk up and realize there's there's a business opportunity, if nothing else, there's a business opportunity here. And if that's what it takes to get them on board to be better. I mean, listen, it's not the best motivator, but if it means that they're changing their ways, you know, we're, we're getting closer to where we need to be.
0: So what's the biggest advice you would give current brands about marketing or communicating their sustainability efforts? You spoke about uh, transparency. So maybe uh, elaborate on that and also tell us what general advice you would give, not just about communicating.
1: I mean, yeah, uh, number one is transparency. And don't be afraid to not have it all right and buttoned up. I think that so many brands are hesitant to ever say anything to their consumers, to the public because they want it to be perfect before they go out with that messaging. And I just think perfection comes off as inauthentic. We we wanna know the challenges and people are actually quite forgiving of those things, particularly if you're saying, here's the challenge and here's what we're doing to try to overcome this. So you don't have to wait to have everything perfectly aligned to start to communicate what you're doing to be better. Um, I I think that really hamstrings a lot of brands, particularly big brands because they have shareholders and if a public company knows that the minute they say something that impacts their stock price right so they are very very buttoned up on what they're going to say for fear that it's going to have huge financial ramifications but I just think we live in an, a different time where people want to hear the truth they want they want to know they want to be able to trust what you're saying and what you're doing and if you're not if you're if you're hiding things, the assumption is you're not doing anything. So I think it's better to, obviously, you know, you don't have to, there's certain things you don't need to share before you're ready, but I I think that transparency is super, super key. And also just, it's a long-term commitment is what I would say to brands. You have to think about this as a lifetime commitment for your brand. This is not something that you decide to do today and you think, okay, in the next six months, this will be checked off the box. We've done it. We've accomplished it. It's time to move on. This has to be in every piece of your business and it has to be for the long haul or else it's not making meaningful change. Um, so I, I think a lot of people just want that quick, immediate sort of um, initiative that is going to get them you know, the splash that they want or make it look like they're doing the right thing. But this is, this is not going away. This is a forever commitment. And if you're not willing to make the forever commitment, then you need to really step back and think about, you know, how. to me, then it's not authentic.
0: Have you seen or worked with brands who have shown that sort of transparency where they were like, this is what we're doing, but this is what we're still working on and that they've gotten a positive response from the public? Because I can't, I yeah. cannot, think of any brand that has done that where they're like we are falling short here but we're doing this
1: i mean i think that there are brands out there that actually allow you to sort of track um you know the factories that they work with on their websites they bring you along i don't most of the brands we work with they're not saying we're 100 we've got it 100 right they're saying this is what we're doing this is what our goal is this is how we're getting there um you know, uh, that, I think it's, I haven't seen a lot of the big brands do that, to be honest. Uh, but I think the smaller brands have much more of an appetite for that. And they are willing to sort of, you know, Veja, you can see Veja's supply chain and factories on their website. Um, so they are sharing that information. Um, you know, they, they released a, a carbon emissions report that was unlike what most brands emit, they said, you know what, it's going to look like we have car- higher carbon emissions because we don't just think about our emissions. You know, if we're sold on a third-party website, most brands don't actually track that. They say that's the third-party website's problem. That's their emissions. But they just says, no, that's, that's ours because it's our product and it's, you know, our sales funnel. So we're actually, we might actually look like we're, we're you know, we have more emissions than other brands, but that's because we're truthfully sharing the entire universe of how we're getting the product out the door. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, there are certain brands that just are not shy about saying we want to be as clear and transparent as possible. And that might not always make us look like the best brand, but it it makes us look like the most honest because you know we're doing things differently. So, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of work to be done across every industry, whether it's food, fashion, beauty. I mean, from packaging to supply chain, it, there's there's so much work to be done. But what I think is really exciting for me is that the, there's so much conversation. And even though that conversation can lead to greenwashing, which, of course, we all are very aware of people are listening and people want to have this conversation. And more than ever, journalists are writing about this. And that means that, you know, there's, I'd rather have conversation than have no conversation because I remember when there was no conversation and now it's people care and um, they want to share the good work of brands. They want to better understand what some of these terms mean. And I think that, you know, we're kind of, we're still in the, we're still on this journey, And we still, you know, we don't have it all figured out. We don't have it all right. It's going to be messy, but I don't think there's any going back at this point. We can't, I don't think we can stop having this conversation and say, okay, well, we checked that off. It's good, we're good, like move on to the next issue. I think now this will forever be a part of brand accountability.
0: And so how can consumers tell when brands are greenwashing? What are some
1: signs? I think using vague language without backing it up is a clear sign, right? So if you're just saying we're fair trade, we're sustainable. I mean, what does that mean? It's we're sustainable because we, you know, use recycled packaging. We do refillable, you know, products. We like, what are the steps you're taking? Um, I think just using the eco-friendly, green, all of these things mean absolutely nothing if you don't actually share the details of, of what you're doing to make them that way. Um, there's just a lot of confusion around that terminology. So I think if a brand is, is using it, but not giving you any concrete evidence of, of why they're calling themselves that, that's probably the clearest call out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you were trying to think of ways to sort of engage in the work you do, but more virtually because of the pandemic. Do you think that that's going to last? You're going to sort
1: of keep the digital strategy or is in-person still a priority for you? I think it's going to be a combination. You know, we just came back in our office last week after being out since March, 2020. We are here on a hybrid model. I think that there inherently is value to doing things in person. I think we all felt very drained. We all had Zoom fatigue I think early days pandemic, it was the only way we could communicate. So everything was online, but very quickly, you saw the drop off in terms of participation. I think that there's just nothing to replace that in-person connection and engagement. But I do think that there are ways to have a hybrid model. I mean, there's still ways you can do things creatively digitally. Uh, I don't think that's going away. I think we learned that there are possibilities and opportunities there. But I think we also learned that we can't just live our lives solely digitally. I think that there are very few people where that is sustainable for them, myself included. You know, I think you just hit a a block, you hit a wall where, particularly in communications. I mean, so much of my work pre-pandemic was Meeting journalists in person, you know, I got so much done by having in-person conversation that sending ten emails just doesn't accomplish. You know, you you kind of you connect in a different way. Um, and when that was all ripped out from under us, of course we had to we had to pivot quickly to figure out how we filled that void and still delivered for our clients. But I think there's a real appetite to safely do things in person again. Um, You know, and it's been a stop, stop, start for us. We did a few events over the summer when COVID numbers were low here in the US, and then we kind of put a pause on it. And now that we're going into the winter and things have to happen inside, you know, I think it's case by case, but I don't think that the digital world for most people full time is palatable at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And when I hear about work from home, work
1: from home, I'm like, aren't you tired of being at home? <laughs> you know, my team actually was coming into the office before I was, and they they put the pressure on me to say, when are we going back to the office? You know, I, I, have, I have team members who have never been really hired during the pandemic, who have never worked in an office setting before. And for them, it's been a much steeper learning curve because they're not around their team members to learn through osmosis. Also, not just getting the camaraderie of being in an office where, you know, when you're at work from home, you're only calling your colleagues when you need something from them. You're not really calling them to chit chat. Whereas when you're sitting together and you're all at desks right next to each other, there's just something more personal about that. And so, you know, I spoke to someone on my team yesterday and she was saying how excited she was to just be in an office because she's a better learner in person. Um, You know, learning behind a screen for her is just not the best way. Um, And so I I think that I know a lot of companies have announced full-time remote. And I think for some occupations, that's probably okay. I mean, listen, if you're coding behind a computer all day, sure. But when you're in communications and PR, where your job is predicated on conversation and interaction and engagement with people, it just doesn't work. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And how, how do you think the pandemic has changed the fashion trends and sustainability? And do you think those will last?
1: You know, it's an interesting question that I think we still don't have the answer to. We just we just had New York Fashion Week here in September and it felt like we were kind of right back into the rigmarole after a year of conversation around how we don't need to be wed to these, you know, kind of frivolous, superflu- superfluous editorial calendars. And yet, you know, all the fashion market editors were having to be at the shows and then they were rushing off to Italy to be at other shows. So I don't know. I think that there have been a lot of people who have taken a step back and say, like, I don't have to participate in this to the same degree anymore, and I can set better boundaries. I think there are some brands that are kind of right back at it. Um, I think we're still kind of waiting for things to even out. Uh, I do hope that there's still not the same pressure to like churn out collections at the same pace and have these again, there's sort of like arbitrary timelines in the fashion world that people have just accepted because it's been the way things are for so long. But I think you have a lot of brands now who don't work on those timelines, who you know kind of create their own, set their own pace um, and prove that you can do that and still be successful and people actually support that. So I think we're still kind of getting our footing in terms of how, how things are, like what the timeline for things are. Um, I think really next year is going to be the most telling because that's when I think we'll probably be able to go back to life in a more full force way. I think we're still kind of treading carefully, particularly here in New York.
0: And I think sort of this sort of fashion went faster and faster and faster. And then all these brands were putting out so many collections per year. And it's like, do they realize that consumers are also overwhelmed with the amount of products that they're getting? It's, It's sort of if you cut down the number of collections, It's okay. We're still going to see you because we also can't, consumers can't keep up with the
1: amount that's being put out. No, it's an unrealistic expectation. And I think for all of us who spent the last year not getting dressed up, you know, we've realized that we can do a lot more with less. Um, You know, I don't think I purchased more than two or three clothing items in the last 18 months. And I used to be a person that purchased, frankly, a lot more because I had a lot more things I had to attend in person. And I just really, you know, cut down on my closet. And I realized that all the culling that I did, I still had more than I needed. I still, you know, it's like no matter how many clothes that I sold or gave away, somehow still couldn't close my closet door. So if I'm a person who's actually thinking about this, you know, and a lot of it's just accumulation of years of things because I keep things forever. But it's, you're right, it's unrealistic, it's unsustainable, um, and it's unnecessary. You know, you have influencers now like Marina Testino, who's a, a fashion who's a model and she's an influencer in the sustainable fashion space, who has a whole campaign around wearing the same outfit every day for a month and showing that, you know, it's possible, you can do it. And she's going to all sorts of events and proving, you know, we don't need 12 different, you know, dresses or 12 different shirts in 12 different colors. We can really live, we can really create a collection, a capsule collection um, that suits our needs.
0: Yeah, and I think with the, the rise of Instagram, it's like, oh, I can't
1: post the same outfit twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I yeah, exactly. I think we see that, where you just get even if it's not posting the same outfit twice, it's like you just get sucked into. I mean, particularly if you live in a city where, when you're out, you see people like every season, you see what's new, what people are wearing. I mean, it's hard not to notice those things, and then you start to think, oh, this is cute. Should I have this in my wardrobe? you know, I, I think that it's, it's hard not to get sucked into that. Um, but I, I hope that we're making purchases with more intention.
0: I think it would be interesting to do a study of the um, amount of clothes that are not worn that are sitting in the closet. It's sort of like, you have all these clothes, but you probably only wear like 20% of them.
1: Well, it's funny. I think there was some, I don't quote me on this. I don't know who put the the numbers out and I don't know if this is the exact number, but there was some study that came out, some survey where it said like Americans buy 78 pieces of clothing a year or something absurd. I mean, it was like more than one piece of clothing a week. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I mean, the average American, first of all, is not even going to that many things, certainly not in the last 18 months. Um, So inevitably you know seventy percent of that is never even getting worn. It's just sitting in someone's closet being forgotten about um, and until they, you know, kind of figure out the next season. I think also this the seasons, the fact that you know, particularly if you live in a place that does have four seasons where it's like each season you're kind of replenishing your wardrobe to support whatever the weather is, I, I, it, we've been kind of trained that you need new things every time the weather changes instead of, exploring what already exists in your closet that you may have forgotten about from last year, because you haven't worn it in a year, it doesn't mean that it's not good. It just means that you haven't had an opportunity to wear it. I and mean, that's kind of been the fun part for me is now that I'm starting to go out a bit more and go to events, I'm basically shopping my own closet, because I haven't seen or had to wear any of these things in so long that it all feels new. I mean, you know, it, it all feels special again.
0: Yep, that's very true. I feel the same way. So my last question for you is, where do you think number 29 will be in five years or in the future? You know, that's
1: a great question. I think for us, we want to continue to grow the Enough platform. I think obviously the bread and butter of what we do is PR, and that's important. And we want to continue to work with the brands whose values align with ours. Um, we love working with the brands we work with our global. We love working with European brands who are trying to make their mark in the U.S. market. I think that's definitely a specialty of ours. But, and I, and I, we've been very intentional about how we've grown the team. We're kind of slow and steady. We're a team of about 12. Um, You know, we grow as needed. Um, It's not about, I don't have a vision of being like a thousand person, multinational agency. I just want to continue to do the good work and kind of put a stake in the ground that we are the people truly working on issues when it comes to sustainability and impact and that we're discerning about it and that we have true expertise and that we've been here doing this now for almost a decade long before got became you know cool or trendy or buzzy to do it that's not why we didn't hop on some bandwagon you know in the last year this has been core to who we are from the beginning and i just want to continue to grow that and grow really the enough platform so that people start to see us as a as a resource to come to, to discover people that they should know about um, in this space.
0: Mm -hmm. And sort of growing as you need and slowly, I I think, makes you uh, more attractive as a communications firm, because I think people will reach out to you. They know what they're getting. It's sort of not, you're not imposing anything on them. You're working really alongside them for their needs. Whereas if you're big, you already have a brand and you're sort of sticking it
1: on every client that you it well and we see a lot of the big agencies have now formed their sustainability groups within the agency but i think it's really hard to seem like you're coming at it from the right place if you have a sustainability group in, in one place but then you're working with some of the biggest planet offenders you know in on an, in another group and i think that for us it's always been i'm okay saying no to people who come to us and have a lot of money to spend but i feel like are doing bad work or are not aligned with us. That's fine. I don't need to take their money. I don't want to work on that. I think we just, we wanna be true to who we are. And that means that our growth will be slower. But I think you know the benefit of this last 18 months is that people know, now know more than ever how important it is to understand this space and brands that maybe never talked about it before, but have always had something to say, now wanna work with somebody who can help guide them in these conversations.
0: Yeah, and so my last question for you, you said that you also want to work with with the brands that are trying to make a change, but they're not quite there yet, sort of the big brands. So I guess what I'm understanding is that if you feel that their effort are is genuine and they're not just trying to get a story from you, that's when you work with them, right?
1: Exactly. I think if there's a brand that's, you know, they have, they're doing the work, but they don't actually know how to share it, mm-hmm. great. You know, And that they, they're, they're self-aware that it's going to be a long-term commitment to doing this work. I'm open to that. If it's a brand that is coming to us and saying, oh, we have this one collection that we want to talk about because it's super sustainable, but we can't talk about anything else over here because if we talk about this, it's going to make us look bad. I mean, no.
0: Great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for answering all my questions, sometimes demanding questions. No,
1: thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, maybe we can talk again in the
1: future. I would love that. Good luck with the semester and uh, always here to answer any questions you might have. Thank you. I'll be following your work. Okay. thanks so much. Bye.